Well, good morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to sit there. It's just an illustration here I'm going to use here this morning. But uh, it's great to be back here this morning with you to worship. Uh, and thank you, choir, and then praise team for leading us in that through music. Uh, it's a blessing to have that. And um, uh, sorry, my wife's not here and kids there. She's actually leading music at her home church in uh, Morgantown at New Hill. So uh, we decided to split up there. So I'm over here and she's up there leading some music and stuff. So let's um, actually open up in a word of prayer and we will get started. God, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. Uh, thank you so much that you are a God that is constant and that's never wavering, uh, never uh, shaking or anything like that, Lord, but you are uh, firm and, uh, and that your truth uh, proves that. And so we thank you for uh, just this opportunity to come and to hear from your word. And I, I pray right now that, that you would just, um, just uh, help us to really zone in on what you want us to hear, Lord, and, um, and help us to not think about um, just, I don't know, anything that we might have to get done uh, after we leave here or, or maybe the place that we got to go eat or whatever the case may be, but help us just to f focus in on what you want and, and uh, thank you for passages like this that we we're going to read to learn from. And so we just want to lift this all up to you and we praise you in your precious name. Amen. Now you might be wondering why I have this chair here and I'll just share this really quickly. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy by the name of Dr. Del Tackett. He uh, used to be the on the senior Bush's cabinet, um, and he uh, actually, after that was done, he uh, decided to work with uh, Focus on the Family, and he did a, a well, he did many projects with Focus on the Family, but one of those projects was the Truth Project, um, and it's a great series. If you ever get a chance to to study it or to go through it, it's a great study on a Christian worldview. But one of the things he does, is he's in a, the video series, he's in a class setting, and what he does is he always puts a chair out pretty much every time when he teaches, and this represents the Trinity. It re represents that God is here in this place, and I hope you believe that. He is here in this place, and uh, we want to make sure that he is um, known and, and that he is here. And so that, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this more later in the, in the sermon here, in the message, um, but I want to just leave that there as a representation of the Trinity of God, that he is here in this place. I want to read you a quote that, um, uh, that I, I just, it always hits me whenever I hear it. Uh, it's by Legan Duncan. He's a, he's a pastor. Well, he's a pastor, but now he's a professor but, and theologian. And uh, this is what he says. He says, there is a God we want. There's a God we want and a God who is. And the two are not the same. I want you to hear this again. There is a God we want and a God who is. And the two are not the same. Uh, Jesus talks about this. He says this in Matthew 6.24. We, we kind of saw in the tithing video um, a little bit. But it says, No one can serve two masters, for, he will either, or for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then it says you cannot serve God and money with that. And it talks about that. Um, and so this morning, what I want to do is we're going to focus, um, if you remember last month, I know it's been, it's been uh, probably don't remember, but last month I, I shared about a king that did right in the eyes of the Lord, and there were very few of those kings. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about a king that did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
Um, and there were a lot of those kings in the Old Testament that did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so I want to look at that. And if you could turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 16, that's where we're going to focus on. And we're just going to read the first uh, 16 verses. That's um, what we're going to look at and, um, and study um, about this, this King Ahaz and, and who he is and you know, why was he evil in the eyes of the Lord. And um, just to give a little bit of background of this king, um, he was probably the most wicked, wicked king in the history of Judah, okay, King Ahaz was. He committed horrible human sacrifices, and one of those horrible human sacrifices is he, he sacrificed his own son. Um, he would promote practices, and these practices were up on high places, and he allowed that to happen, and that was, a, that was wrong. Uh, he, would, um, he did everything opposite to what God had intended for Judah. Um, he, he was at a crucial state, not only for his life, but also for the people of Judah. Um, King Ahaz inherited a political problem from his father, um, and, it, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes here. Um, but King Ahaz had uh, made Judah act sinfully and had been unfaithful to the Lord. Um, King uh, Rezin of Syria and Pekah, King Pekah, king of, uh, of Israel, so we have Syria and Israel, wanted Ahaz to join forces with them to defeat the Assyrians at the time. But the problem with this is that Ahaz was pro-Assyrian, and he wanted to go and follow them instead. And so um, what they did is, um, uh, so in retaliation, Syria and Israel planned to overthrow Ahaz and put like a puppet king in there at the time. So they were hoping to kill King Ahaz. Um, but as we see, that's not going to happen um, because the Lord protected David's throne at this time, even though King Ahaz did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um, and uh, we see this in 2 Chronicles 28, 5 through 8, uh, that it was the Lord who brought these two kings to go against Judah to punish Ahaz for his sins. Okay, so God allowed this to happen. But the two kings did a great damage, but they could not capture it. They could not dethrone him. Um, and so I want to look at this, this passage, and I want us to see, just take some observations. You're probably going to see some observations when we look at this. So let's look at verse 1 here. As we, uh, one and two, um, and uh, let's, let's just dive into this. It says, in the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Okay? And then verse two says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So I want to just stop there for just a second, because I was thinking about this, just an observation that I was thinking about. And um, we see something here. We see what um, uh, we see what uh, who who uh, King Ahaz's father's name was, and that was King Jotham, right? And uh, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord uh, for the for the most part. But if you flip back in your Bibles to Second Kings fifteen, we can kind of see a little glimpse of this this other king or his father, I should say, King Ahaz's father. Uh, verse 32 through 38, um, and it says here, it says, In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was, he was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, it says. His mother's name was Jerusha, and the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that the father Uzziah had done. Nevertheless, the high places were not removed. So he did... He did 
all right with the Lord a little bit, but the high places were still there. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah. And in those days, the Lord began to send Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, against Judah. Um, so Jotham slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Ahaz, his son, reigned in this place. So, so we look, see a little bit of history here. So what we see here is, is um, with this king, his father, King Ahaz's father, is that he did okay in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, I consider that he did bad, but we see here that he did okay. He did, he did right in the eyes of the Lord. But the problem was is he kind of kept the status quo. He allowed the high places to stay there. Um, we worship Baal, all that stuff to just remain, okay? You might know leaders like that. They kind of just keep the status quo with stuff, um, but are okay if you want to practice your faith. But then there's also all the, all the other nasty stuff or evil stuff that goes on. Um, then you look at Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, okay? I'm going to get to a point here with this, what I'm trying to get at. Um, and, it, and you go forward to 2 Kings chapter 18. This is what we learn about his reign. Um, so Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, he says, In the third year of uh, Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Uh, his mother's name was Abby, the, the daughter of uh, Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah, and uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Uh, he removed the high places and he broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah and he broke in the pieces, the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. Um, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there, were, there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were um, before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and, and would not serve him. And he struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. So what we see here is that this one broke the generational cycle here with this. Um, and, and maybe you can relate that, this to your life. Um, I, I don't know if you, if, uh, what I'm trying to get at here with these kings is that I look at and I just kind of look at our, our lives as, as human beings. You know, maybe you live in a situation to where maybe your parents were, did right in the eyes of the Lord, but maybe... You kind of did right in the eyes of the Lord, but you also allowed other things to kind of infiltrate into your life. You kind of kept that status quo. Or maybe you were, maybe your parents did right in the eyes of the Lord, but maybe you've just rebelled and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Or maybe your parents, you know, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but you changed that, is what we just seen here with uh, King Ahaz's son. He changed that, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And I think we can relate to that. I look at my, um, I'll give an example um, is that my wife, uh, Crystal, um, she was uh, raised in a very oppressed family. And um, it was pretty bad. It was uh, to the point where there'd be one day that they would say, I love you, and the next day I hate you. Um, I, this, 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 whatever. You, you can fill in the blank with that. And, um, and she chose, because it's a, it's a battle. It's a battle, especially as we're raising our kids, that she doesn't fall into that cycle that she was raised under the oppression and, um, and, and um, talking behind backs and all that stuff. And so she fights that every day so that she can love our kids well 
you know, and, and, and godly in, in, in a biblical manner. Um, it's hard, it's tough for, for that, to break those generational cycles with that. Um, but for those that just keep the status quo, you become a people pleaser. Um, and you don't want to change anything. Um, and that's not a good, good thing either. Um, so let's, let's go back into this verse again in, in chapter 16 here of 2 Kings. At the end of, of, of verse 2, it says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. And he walked in the ways of the king of Israel. And so what we see here is King David was considered the standard of a good kingly um, behavior, basically. So if you, ranked, if you ranked this king from 1 to 10, and 10 being the best... He was number one. <laughs> he was one. He was really bad. He was a bad king. King Ahaz was. Um, he basically, um, he, he was supposed to represent godly worship, but he didn't. And uh, he gradually went into far, further gross idolatry. Let's continue. It says, he even burned his son as an offering, uh, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made, th made offerings of the high places on the hills and under every green tree. So burning his son was detestable. He was the first one to do this. Uh, that was a no-no. You don't do that. And this was strongly prohibited in the law. Um, and there was no record of sacrificing children until he came to reign. And, and, and what's sad is that he was sacrificing his son to this god Molech, this god Molech. And what breaks my heart is that I, I, I think of this innocent child, and, um, and I think of that even in our nation as we, as we, um, as we do that too. Um, and we, we abort thousands and thousands of people, our kids. And, um, and it just breaks my heart because I, I think of those things to where they don't have a choice. And um, it, it really breaks my heart when I see this, this, this uh, worshiping, this idol that is not even true, um, that we worship. Look at, verse, uh, look, look at verse 5. It says here, Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up and to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. And at that time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Elath of Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. And the Edomites came to Elath where they dwell to this day. So again, what we see here is we see that these two kings were wanting to ally with, with Judah, um, and Ahaz refused. And, they, and so they came to wage war and take his throne. Um, and they did a lot of damage, but still came short. And when I say a lot of damage, what happened was, is what you know, I didn't share earlier, is that uh, one of his sons, uh, King Ahaz's son, was killed along with two key officers of the state were killed, and thousands of soldiers were killed, and thousands of soldiers were prisoners of war, were sent to exile, or to, to uh, yeah, to exile. And it took, um, like, and it, it just swallowed them up. But again, they did not conquer him. They could not conquer him. So why is that? Because the Lord was protecting David's throne. Okay, you don't have to turn here, but in Isaiah chapter 7, it's fascinating because what we see here is we see Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, actually confronting King Ahaz. Okay, he's confronting King Ahaz, and I just want to read this really quickly to you. And it says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, uh, you and Sherezub, your son, um, and at the uh, in your son, and at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field, 
and, and say to him, this is, what he, this is what God wanted Isaiah to say to him. And he said, be careful, be careful, be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and, and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah was devised, has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. And let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God. And then he says here, and it shall not stand. And it shall not come to pass for the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered um, from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. And this is what he says at the very end of verse 9. It's kind of like a warning or kind of just saying, please hear this. He says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. This is what Isaiah said to, to King Ahaz. But the sad thing is that he didn't hear this. He didn't listen. And so the two kings being disappointed, they raised, like I said, a siege and returned home. These two kings that were trying to raise war on King Ahaz. And um, so basically they isolated Judah so that they didn't get any supplies or help. Um, once Ahaz refused, then Rezin attacked and recovered the port of Elath. That's what we read. Um, and this was uh, Solomon's seaport. So basically, so what I'm trying to get at is that King Ahaz, what we're seeing here is that he is in a bad state. He just lost this port. He lost a lot of things right now. He's, he's in a desperate state right now. Um, so let's look at what, what happens. Look at verse 7 of uh, 2 Kings 16, it says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pilesar, he's the king of Assyria, as we see here, saying, I am your servant and your son. This is what King Ahaz is saying to this king. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Again, this is a no-no. You don't, you don't go to this king, okay? There's, there's just no way. You don't go to this person, but he's in a desperate state right now. He doesn't act like a covenant believer, and he's selling his birthright, basically, okay? That's what we're seeing here. Um, this, is, this was a strange posture for a descendant of David to take before a pagan ruler, to take before a pagan ruler. And Ahaz had no living faith in the Lord, had no living faith in the Lord. And he puts his trust in who? In this tiglath Pilasar, this king, in his army. And so basically he accepts the Assyrian king as his savior, basically. That's what we're seeing here. Again, at the end, what did, what did Isaiah 7, 9 at the end say? He said, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You will not be firm at all. Um, and um, another thing that I see here, observation-wise, is that... Um, King Ahaz took things in his own matter. Nowhere did we see that he went to God because he lost everything. He didn't go to God Almighty. He didn't do that at all. He didn't seek God's face. And it's amazing when we do things our own way and the trouble that we get into sometimes. You know, if you think about it, that we don't go to God and just say, God, what should I do in this situation? But instead, a lot of times we have that tendency to want to just do it ourselves and be in control of it, right? Uh, we have that tendency to do that and, and want to just try to do things our own way. But what we're learning here is that that gets us into some desperate measures. Um, 
and we, we get into a rut. And sometimes we will do anything to compromise or to get ahead for ourselves. Um, we forget about going to the main source. And it was God who put him in that position. And it was a lack of obedience and submission to God. It was a pride issue. It was a pride issue that we see here. And that he had no faith in God Almighty. So not only does King Ahaz say that he is a servant and a son of this king, but look at what else he does. Look at verse 8. What do we see here? He also took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the kings of the house and sent the present to the king of Assyria. So he's digging himself into a deeper hole here, as you can see. Um, he basically buys his salvation, like I said earlier. And some versions use gift instead of present here. Um, but it's basically, in the Hebrew language, it means a bribe. He's bribing this king of what he's giving him. Again, he's, in, 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 he's desperate here. Um, and in the, in the Mosaic law, um, bribing was forbidden and highly criticized. You don't do that. You don't do that at all. And so, so we see here that he is, he is totally drifting away from God. He doesn't, that's not even in the picture anymore. Um, there's an author, or, uh, yeah, an author, theologian, uh, Dale Ralph Davis. This is what he says here in this, this part. He says, shucked to the bone, the choice is between pragmatism, which is character, or promise, he said. Um, Ahaz had Yahweh's promise of deliverance through Isaiah, with what I just read to you in Isaiah 7. Do I go with that, or am I sure, or, or, this is, I'm sorry, do I go with what I am sure will work, or wait for what God offers, he says. Do I jump on an immediate solution or submit to what God requires? Here is a man in a tense, disappointing marriage. Does, does he seek candidly and graciously to communicate his concerns to his wife um, so that they can prayerfully and perhaps with assistance, with pastoral care or professional counseling, um, try to restore what was broken? Or does he insist on seeking his solace in an extramarital relationship? with a woman he, he has met at work because she understands me. There are legions of ways we can become disciples of Ahaz, he said. Uh, we simply say of any situation, my wisdom must handle this rather than my father will give me what is good. I love that statement of what he says there. This is a warning. And um, the warning is that uh, we have to be careful that we don't forget our first love. Let's continue. Let's look at verse 9. And the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kerr, and he killed Rezin. And so this, second, uh, this is the second of three times that the Assyrians deported the Israelite people here at this moment. Um, what we see here is that Tiglath-Pilassar invades Judah's northern enemies, capturing Damascus and sending its people into exile. Well, God's people ever learned because he sees right here that King Ahaz, is, he's got him wrapped around his fingers. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to take over Damascus here then. I'm going to do this. Um, and so now Tiglath-Pilassar summons his son and his servant, King Ahaz. Uh, because he knows, again, that he's got Ahaz wrapped around his fingers, like I said. So gone are the days when the king, kings of Judah and their armies were feared by nations. Were feared by nations. He had sold his soul to the devil. That's what we see here. Look at verse 10. It says, uh, when King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pilassar, king of Assyria, he does that out of respect, okay? 
Uh, he saw the altar that was at Damascus, and King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar and its pattern exact in all its details. And Uriah the priest built the altar in accordance with all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it, and before King Ahaz, King Ahaz arrived from Damascus. Okay, so this is another part of the story. It's crazy with this, what he's doing. Again, he's doing everything opposite to what God wanted. He goes to see Tiglath-Pilesar in Damascus, and he sees this altar that he builds, okay? And what's crazy here is that um, we, 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 well, first of all, before I, I go to this altar thing, is that we have to ask, who is Uriah the priest, okay? We don't have that much information. All we know is that he was a supporter of the prophet Isaiah, okay? He did what was right, in the eyes of the Lord, but again, he kept, he, he didn't stand up and say, I'm not going to build this, but he went ahead and built it anyways for King Ahaz before he arrived. And some scholars think that Ahaz, King Ahaz was supposed to do it because of what Tiglath-Pilesar told them. But no, he did that because he was fascinated by what he saw when he went to go visit that king of Assyria. Um, and so look at verse 12. What does it, see here? What does it say here? It says, And when the king uh, came from Damascus, the king viewed the altar. Then the king drew near to the altar and went up on it and burned his burnt offerings and his grain offerings and poured his drink offerings and threw the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. Let's just stop here. You know what he's doing? He's becoming priest, a priest. And that's a no-no. You don't do that. You don't offer these things like this. That's what the priests do. Look at verse 14, it says, And the bronze altar that was before the Lord he removed from the front of the house, from the place between his altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of, of his altar. And, the king, and King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great altar, burn the morning burnt offering and the evening grain offering and the king's burnt offering and his grain offering and with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their grain offering and their drink offering and throw on it all the blood of the burnt offerings and all the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire. And then verse 16 says, Uriah the priest did all this as King Ahaz commanded. I want to share with you, I don't know if you can see this picture up here. There's a picture. This is um, Solomon's bronze alt altar that was right in the front of the Holy of Holies. This is I mean, you can see how massive this, I mean, you can see that little person right there. This is huge. So what they did is, what, what this king did is he took this, this piece and moved it to the north side. So what he did is he took this piece and he put it way back here and he said, what did he say in verse, what was it, 15, I think it is, and he says that, um, that uh, but the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. So anytime that we have problems or difficulties or, or whatever is going on, we'll, we'll inquire of him. But for right now, this altar that I saw over in Damascus, this is what I want front and center. So he just removed God from a prominent place, from being number one in his life to being over here in the corner, over here in the corner. Um, God wants our full attention. He wants it. He wants to be our first love. He wants, um, he's a jealous God. And that's, you just don't do that. 
You just don't do that. But the thing is, is that the sad thing is that we, we tend to do that in our lives. Um, I, I love Matt Chandler. He's a pastor down at the Village Church in, in Dallas, Texas. And, and he'll say, because, you know, people are Dallas Cowboy fans. He's like, if, if you know more about the team and the second string and the third string and, and all their stats, that is your God. That is your idol that you worship. It's pretty powerful, right? If you know more about that than who God is and his character and his word, then that's who you serve. That was just an example of sports. We can talk about technology. We can talk about whatever you want. But, but he gave that example. And I'm just like, man, that's so powerful. And it puts things in perspective to realize that, man, God, I don't want, I don't want to put you in this, in this box. I don't want to put you in this corner. I want you to be, obviously, center stage. I want you to be present in my life as you are here today in my life. The sad thing is that um, with King Ahaz, this is, this is the end of his life, okay, before he died. This is what happened to his life. This is, comes from 2 Chronicles 28, 23. It says this, For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. That's what he said. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. That's the end of his life. That's all we know from him. He, it, it just, it didn't make, he just, obviously he didn't do what he was supposed to do as king. And that's, that's the end of his life. And I hope and pray that obviously that won't be the end of our lives when we look at our lives that we're just like, man, we are Jesus followers. We are going to follow him to the day we die. And then we're going to trust him. And in closing, I want to share this with you. Is that what's so cool about this is that we have a true um, and faithful ruler that will reign forever, and his name is Jesus. And what's crazy is that what I love about this is in Isaiah 7, um, I didn't read any further, but if you go to uh, verses 10 through 14 of 7, it says this, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, okay? Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Um, and it says here in verse, verse 13, And he said, Hear then, O house of David, it is too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also, he said. This is what Isaiah is saying. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. I love that it was already prophesied. Isaiah, God already knew that this was going to happen, that this king was going to fail. But there's a better king. There's a better Adam. There's a better priest. And there's a better king that is going to come and that is going to reign forever and ever, that is going to die on the cross and to give us life. And praise God for that. That we don't have to sit here and be like, man, we just left here with this king that did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he ruined his life, basically. But we can celebrate now that there's a king that is so much greater and so much better for us. And I praise God for that. I praise God that we, can, we have purpose and we have a reason to, to go out and, and to be salt and light into this world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.